The scripture reading this morning will be from Matthew chapter 9, verses 32 through 36. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. Then Jesus went about the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Good morning. It's a blessing to be together this Lord's Day. We're thankful for many that are here this morning. And we're thankful that we have the opportunity to be together to worship our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and remember His death and sacrifice that He made upon the cross for us. We're thankful that we've had the opportunity to give back to the Lord so that we might continue the work of the kingdom that spread the gospel to parts of the world and our community especially that we want to be effective in our service for the Lord and we're thankful that you're here and that you're a part of that. I hope you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be looking at chapters 8 and 9 this morning and as you think about some of the most important moments in the life of Jesus and there's plenty of them. You probably think about the Sermon on the Mount That's probably near the top of everyone's list. And the teachings that Jesus gave that are so memorable from that particular sermon. And you think about His parables. There are many parables that He gave. We probably are all very familiar with the the Good Samaritan, for instance. That we just remember those stories that He told. We remember the lessons that we draw from those stories. We remember his interactions with the religious elite, don't we? We remember how they tried to ensnare him and entrap him in his words and how he was able to always uh, get the better of them. We remember Jesus and walking on water and the miracles that he performed turning water into wine, those kinds of things that really stand out. We remember His transfiguration when His face and His image were so bright and shining. We remember those moments in the life of Jesus and they are indeed significant moments. We probably think of His miracles feeding the 4,000 and the 5,000. We certainly remember His death and His resurrection. And we remember all of these moments in the life of Jesus because they are significant in defining Jesus. They tell us who He is and who He was. And that He is the Christ, the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the one who came to save us from our sins. But there are several other episodes in the life of Jesus that really emphasize His healing and the miracles of healing that He came and that He performed. And as He spoke of His mission, as He spoke of Himself and His purpose in coming to this earth, as the Pharisees were engaging Him 
In Matthew chapter 9 and in verse 10, it says, Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. And then he tells them in verse 13, But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What I think is so significant about what Jesus says there is that he understands his mission, that he came to engage with those who are lost and those who are in sin, but not even just those who are lost and those who are in sin because many of the Pharisees, they were self-righteous. They thought themselves to be saved, but they really, I think, did not have a good estimation of themselves spiritually. And what Jesus says is that He came to call sinners. People who know they are in sin. People who know that they need healing. And we think of Jesus and His mission to come and to save. As Jesus says, it's not those who are sick, or it's those who are sick who need a physician. Uh, He is the one who came to bring healing. He is the one who came to bring salvation. Jesus is the great physician. He brings healing and He demonstrates that ability in these two chapters, in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, and what you have to appreciate about Matthew, and as he is writing this gospel and this presentation of Jesus, he takes these episodes, if you will, and he kind of sandwiches them all together. He, He crams them all together, and you're just left, by the end of these two chapters, you are left with the impression that Jesus is a healer. You cannot read these chapters and not come away with that impression but what do we learn about jesus what do these healing stories teach us about jesus i think that's a very valid question and it's one that we want to try to answer this morning as we think about it like that we are going to learn something incredible about who jesus is and the first thing that we learn is found in matthew chapter 8 with the healing of a leper in matthew chapter 8 And begin reading with me in verse 1. It says, When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed Him, and a leper came to Him and bowed down before Him and said, Lord, if You are willing, You can make me clean. Jesus stretched out His hand and touched Him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately His leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to Him, See that you tell no one but go, show yourself to the priest, and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. What I think we need to just stop in and just appreciate first and foremost is that Jesus wanted to help this man. Do you see that in this story? That Jesus wants to help this guy. Here's this leper and he comes to Jesus. And he doesn't just say, Jesus, I demand you do this. He doesn't want pity from Jesus. What does he want? He wants healing. But he wants to know that Jesus is willing. Do you see that? He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
That if you would will this, if you would want this, if you will desire this, then it can happen. This leper doesn't want just Jesus' sympathy. He wants Jesus to want to heal. And then notice what Jesus says. He responds, he says, I am willing. Jesus wanted to help this man. He wanted to help him. And you think, well, you know, Sean, of course he did. It's Jesus. But how many people do we run across that we might know of their ailments and their sickness and their disease? And how many of us might say, oh, well, we want to help, but it doesn't go further than those words? Because I think that could be a great many people. In the Gospel of John, in John chapter 5, in John chapter 5, and in verse 2, in the Gospel of John we have a healing that is recorded here of a lame man. But what is just interesting as you read this occasion here in John chapter 5 and in verse 2, it says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in a been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. So you just imagine, here's this place that is offering healing. And yet, it would attract a lot of people who needed healing. And here's this lame man who has been unable to walk. He is unable to get himself to the waters there. And what happens? You just get this story that everyone just goes right in front of him. No one stops and picks him up and helps him get to the water. How many people are like that in our life where we may be going through some suffering, some ailment, some disease, and it seems that everyone just passes us by without a thought in the world. They continue to live their life and they're they're selfish and their desires and that's all they're chasing after. They're not stopping and thinking about us. It's impressive that Jesus stops and desires and wants to help people. And that's exactly what Jesus expects us to be. If we're going to be followers of Him, or if we're going to be His disciples, then we must be people who are concerned about those who are sick and those who are suffering. In Matthew chapter 25, in Matthew the 25th chapter, as Jesus is picturing the judgment scene. And when we will all stand before the King in Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 25 and in verse 34, He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, 
Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. When we show care and compassion for those who are suffering and those who are sick, we're extending that also towards Jesus. And if we are going to be people who are followers of the King, and if we want to show goodwill to the King, then we need to be people who are showing goodwill to others in the kingdom and in the world. The book of James speaks about this responsibility in James chapter 1. In James chapter 1 and in verse 27, and as James is trying to get us to see what is essential for pure religion and service to God, he says in verse 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit Orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And we have a responsibility. We need to cultivate a desire to help people just like Jesus did. That's one of the most important lessons that we see in these healing stories. But there's a second thing that we learn about Jesus, and that we see his power to heal. That becomes very obvious. That's something that you and I do not have. But that's something that we see come to the top as we read about Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8, if you would turn back there with me, in Matthew the 8th chapter and in verse 5, after Jesus has healed that leper, you get the second story that Matthew ties together to emphasize Jesus and His healing. And he says in verse 5, And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Here the centurion comes to Jesus and he says, Look, Lord, I know you have the power to do this. And I want you to heal my servant. I'm telling you about him. And Jesus says, Okay, I'll come. 
He says, Lord, I'm not asking you to come to my house. I just need you to say the word. And Jesus then commends him for that kind of faith, doesn't he? Because he understood something about Jesus. He understood some things about authority. He said, I'm no one to command you to come to my house. I'm under authority, or I have people under my authority, and I tell them what to do. He says, I'm under your authority because of your immense power that you just have to say the word and it will be done. You continue on in verse 16. As Jesus came into Simon Peter's home, and and Peter's mother-in-law is sick and in bed with a fever. And in verse 16 it says, When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. And this is not just one or two people. This is everyone. That Jesus has the power to heal those who are sick with fever and those who have disease. And just by His Word. That's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? It's hard for us to imagine having that kind of power just through our Word. Because how many times do we have to say something to people for them to... For, for things to, to actually happen, and then it still may not happen the right way. You just have to become a parent, right? And you learn that principle, that just saying the word doesn't mean that it's actually going to be executed. <laughs> but here's what Jesus is able to do. He says it, and it happens. That's power. That's authority there that you see. In chapter 9, just to illustrate even further, in chapter 9, and in verse 18, while he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So here's this synagogue official who's come and he says, My daughter has died. You have the power to restore life from death. And you see that happen in verse 23 when Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, he said, Leave, for the girl has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. This news spread throughout all the land. Which one of us has the power to raise the dead? To bring life back. Jesus does. Jesus has that power. That Jesus' very word and command, sickness, disease, and death are vanquished. In a time especially when people might turn to incantations or pain compliance techniques, invoking higher spirits to get rid of lower spirits, Jesus' Word is enough. And throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew has tried to get us to understand that with Jesus' Word is the expression of Jesus' authority. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus gives 
the parable of the two uh, men, the wise man and the foolish man. Notice in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then at the end of that chapter, it says in verse 29, For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. With Jesus' word comes Jesus' authority. And Jesus' power is seen. And it's made evident. And that's something that Matthew is emphasizing throughout this Gospel account. And that Jesus' popularity just continues to grow. That crowds are following Him and people are wanting to draw near to Him. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, in our reading this morning, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. You just get the imagine. You just imagine that everyone's coming to Jesus. They want to have what He is offering. Jesus' power is something that we learn about here. But then we also learn that something that's extremely powerful and that Jesus, Jesus operates not just through spoken word. Because you can say things, can't you? And it not be very personable. <laughs> you can have a conversation with someone and it, it might be a little tense or it might be a little awkward and you say, well, they're just not much of a people person. But then, you know, if you've ever come across that person who's huggy and, you know, huggy-feely type person and they will always give you a hug and that's awkward for some people, Right? Because we're not all used to that personal touch. What's powerful about Jesus is that He offers a personal touch. I want you to see that. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 2, the story that we already looked at with the leper. It says, and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out His hand and touched him. That may not be shocking to many of us, but here is a leper. Under the Old Covenant, a leper was considered unclean. If you came into contact with a leper, you were therefore ceremonial un ceremonially unclean. A leper would have to be isolated and quarantined to avoid the spreading of the disease. And here Jesus is willing to not only examine this guy and to come into close contact with the leper, He is willing to touch the leper. You know, we've been told the past several years that if you know, keep your distance, right? You know, six feet or whatever. Keep your distance. But what Jesus does, He ignores all that, doesn't He? And He touches person who's afflicted 
later on in verse 14 and 15, when Jesus comes into Peter's house, it says, when, when Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. Now, when, when someone is sick, I usually am that way. I don't, want, I don't want to come touch you. If you've got a fever, if you've got the flu or something, I don't want to come over to your house. I'm going to let those germs stay there. <laughs> Jesus comes in, and he offers a personal touch. Chapter 9 and verse 18. Now, a synagogue official whose daughter had just died, notice what he says, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And in verse 25, but when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand and the girl got up. In verse 27 of Matthew chapter 9, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. Jesus extends his hand to a leper. to someone sick with fever, to a corpse, and to two blind men. He removes the disease. He makes them pure and clean. He restores life. And you have to think, what motivated Jesus here? What is... Why did he do this? Why would he be so compassionate and concerned? Well, what it seems to me in all these occasions is just that element of a personal touch. It's the personal connections, it's the relationships that he has. With all of these people as an expression of his love and his compassion and his desire to see them no longer suffering. It's through those personal interactions that he is able to come to know people's faith. Never dismiss the opportunity to get to talk to someone and to know someone. To learn about their faith. To learn about their desire to serve the Lord. Because what's interesting is you read all these stories that Matthew is telling us about. We get very few names, don't we? We get these people described by their affliction. A leper came to him. 
There's a centurion. Get his occupation. A mother-in-law. A paralytic. We haven't talked about him much, but he's in here in Matthew chapter 9. A synagogue official. Another one we haven't yet mentioned, but we will. Is a woman with a hemorrhage. Two blind men. We get these stories. And we know these people by their affliction. But that does they're all different, aren't they? What brings these people together? What what is it that brings them uh, with a common connection and a common thread? It's Jesus. Jesus is what brings these people together with something in common. It's that Jesus healed them. Jesus interacted with them. Jesus spoke with them. And He showed compassion for them. And He wanted to see them healed. And so we see all these different things here in Matthew chapter 9 and how they are teaching us something about Jesus. That we see Jesus' desire to help. We see His power. We see that element of personal touch. And that helps us understand something about our great physician, Jesus Christ. And what these stories do, they lay the foundation for our faith in Jesus. They are helping us learn something about Jesus and what we need to have. And I think our faith and even our salvation, it's built upon two principles that you see in every healing story. Throughout all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, any healing story, you're going to see these in some way. You're going to see Jesus' authority. And you're going to see Jesus' compassion. All of them are going to have elements of those two things. In Matthew chapter 8, we get that brought out very clear, don't we? With that centurion who wants his servant to be healed, who's paralyzed. And Jesus says, I will come and heal him. And then the centurion says, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following him, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I thought we were talking about authority there. But Jesus commends this man for his faith. You see, our faith has to recognize Jesus' authority and His power. If we don't have that understanding of Jesus in our faith, then we don't have faith 
in at least the fullness and the comprehensive way that we're supposed to. We have to recognize Jesus and His authority and His power. If we are going to be the people who have faith in Christ, we have to be people who are willing to do what Jesus says. We see that in all these stories. That faith is what is appreciated. In Matthew chapter 9, with the woman suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years, mind you. In Matthew chapter 9 and in verse 20, And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she was saying to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once the woman was made well. Here's this woman who's suffering. And what's interesting is there you get that whole touch thing in its inverse. It's not Jesus touching her. It's her just wanting to get a glimpse of Jesus and touch just the fringe of His garment. And her faith makes her well. It's because she understood something about Jesus and His authority and His compassion. And when Jesus heals those blind men in Matthew chapter 9, in verse 29, He says, Then He touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. Jesus appreciates their faith and He sees it. And it's because they recognize His power. They recognize His authority. That He is the one who is able to command these sickness and these diseases to just disappear. They understand that it is Jesus who has the power and the authority to bring healing. And then we see Jesus' compassion, don't we? In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. He felt compassion for them. You go a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus has been in a place by Himself for a little while praying. And it says in verse 14 that when He went ashore, He saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. What motivates Jesus so much of the time is that He sees the suffering and the affliction and He wants to help. He loves those people. He expresses His compassion. 
And you think about these concepts of compassion and love of Jesus and His authority, and so many times people want to put those things against one another, right? In the religious world, we want to have the compassionate, loving Jesus, but we don't want His authority. We don't want to always do what He says. We want to do what we want, right? And true biblical faith, if we're going to have that kind of faith that brings healing, you have to have both of those concepts. They're not incompatible and contradictory where they're against each other. They harmonize together. They come together. And if we're going to understand Jesus, we have to understand that He is the King of kings, that He is the one who has all authority in heaven and earth, and that whatever He says, we must do. Then we also have to look and appreciate His compassion, His love, and what He is willing to do for those who are sick and suffering. And obviously, what we have to recognize is that Jesus is the great physician. All of these are to help illustrate His mission and His purpose in coming. Ultimately and finally was to bring salvation and healing to those who are lost and sick in sin. As we emphasize so much about the personal touch that we see in those healing stories where Jesus comes and He has a relationship with them and He touches those who are sick. You think about that. Jesus is not someone who is so distant that He doesn't understand. Jesus came to this world and He was tempted like we are, yet without sin. He knows what it is like to have this experience in life. And in Romans chapter 5, as the Apostle Paul is writing in Romans chapter 5 and in verse 6, he says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. While we are helpless, while we are stuck in the mire, while we are in sin, with this spiritual infirmity, Jesus died. In verse 8, but God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the compassion and the love of God and Jesus Christ our Savior. And in Matthew chapter 9, in Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus heals the paralytic, you'll remember that occasion, I'm sure, whenever Jesus is teaching. And it says in verse 2, And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed, 
Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine being that man who's paralyzed and he comes and he's wanting to be healed? He's wanting Jesus to do everything that he's done for all these other people? And then he only gets your sins are forgiven? Can you imagine how that might feel for just a moment? Like, sins? I just want to walk. (laughs) But he goes on in verse 3, And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Do you see that word authority there? So that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. Jesus says, which one's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and go home? And so he says, so that you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, I'm going to heal this man. Get up and go home. Walk. Jesus is the one who has the authority and the power to save you from your sins. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Healing and forgiveness It's found in the authority and the power of Jesus and in the love of God. We can appreciate His love and His compassion and we need to appreciate His authority as well. And when we rightly understand all of these things and those two major concepts, then we are ready to have the kind of faith that brings healing and salvation. This morning, if you're not a child of God, Jesus is willing. Jesus wants to save you. He wants to save you so much that He was willing to give His life for yours. That if you come to Him in faith, believing in Him as the Son of God who died and rose again, you're willing to repent and confess your faith in Him and be baptized and watered, your sins can be washed away by the power of His blood. You can be made new and whole again. And if you are here this morning and you've already made that confession, and if you have been baptized but you've not been living in a way that's consistent and right and proper and you've turned away, not been serving God as faithfully as you should. Our great physician offers healing again. He offers mercy and compassion and grace. If you'll come and repent, He's willing to extend it to you. And we're here to help you and encourage you in whatever way we can. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation this morning, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?